Lightspeed. Hello, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am Jim Freund, your host. In this episode, we present Carbon Zero by D. Thomas Minton, as narrated by Stefan Rutnicki and directed by Chelsea Dupuy. But first, a word from our sponsors. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, it's time to buckle up. We're going to light speed. Carbon Zero by D. Thomas Minton Is there a problem, officer? We're not the police. My partner Enrico places his palm against the door, ready to test the old man's resolve. I tap my finger against my thumb and snap-beam the warrant to the old man's synaptic cache. We're EPF. Oh, the old man whispers as if his voice has been snatched away. No one likes the police showing up on their porch, but they would rather the police come knocking than the EPF. Years of aggressive action against climate violators has given the Environmental Protection Force its well-earned reputation. We give them a moment to review the warrant, signed, sealed, and legally enforceable in any jurisdiction on Earth. Give me a second to tidy. Enrico doesn't let the door close. We don't care if you haven't dusted, Mr. Costa. Being no match for two young, modded investigators, Costa retreats. Close the door, he says. You're letting in the smoke. Spurred by the early arrival of the annual heat dome and the decades-long drought, the Agalor Creek fire has been raging for weeks and recently combined with three smaller blazes to produce the season's first mega-inferno event. It's going to be a bad fire year, and the UNEP has already issued warnings that our suppression systems might not protect key population centers. Indeed, Agalor Creek is spitting off dozens of fire whirls, and the turbulence was so bad our hydrocell skimmer nearly diverted during our final approach to the drop zone at the end of the old man's driveway. Costa stands thin-lipped, arms crossed in defiance. My IR lenses clearly register depressed skin temperatures due to heavy sweating. With the windows' thermal screens in place, the modest living room is cool and dim. A threadbare couch, a small dining table... One of those plug-in atomizers gently hisses, contributing to the room's oddly cloying odor intended, one would assume, to mask the smell of the fire. Check his sponges, Enrico says, unclipping his analyzer from the belt ring next to his holster. Costa raises his hands. You have no right to touch me. International Bylaw 773 gives me the authority. I snap-beam the relevant regulation to him and without waiting, press my thumb to Costa's forehead. In a blink, I download his bio-log to a secure evidence partition on my synaptic cache. I think you'll find everything in order, Costa says. 
I'm sure we will, Enrico mumbles, as he follows his analyzer around the room's perimeter. A day ago, Enrico had arrived from the Barcelona office to assist our unit, which had been hard hit by the recent Ligma-13 outbreak among the rank-and-file investigators. Even I had been called back to the field. For the last eighteen months I've been jockeying paperwork in the processing office because it afforded me the flexibility to be with my wife, Elena, during her chemo treatments. I scanned through Costa's data. His metallo-organic corpuscles and chloroplast implants are functioning within operational ranges. Costa's CO2 emissions are below detectable levels, as the bioengineered MOCs in his lungs capture the carbon dioxide from his exhalations and shunt it to the photosynthetic nodules on the back of his hands for metabolic processing. "'What are you looking for?' Costa asks. His thermal signature tells me he's scared, although anyone hearing the tightness in his voice would already know that. "'It's in the warrant,' Enrico says. "'I'm a historian, not a lawyer.' I almost hear the disdain in Enrico's eyebrow rise. Well, well, what have we here? Enrico pushes open what should have been a bedroom door. He tosses the light switch, and several spots come alive. According to my lenses, they aren't standard LEDs, but full-spectrum lamps, more typical of a greenhouse than a residence. That's just a hobby, Costa says. Enrico extends his arm to stop the old man from entering the room. Let me guess, I say, coming over to the doorway. Six vats? Enrico hands me his analyzer. Close. I count seven. The small room has been converted into an algae-growing facility. Seven 100-liter containers have been hastily plumbed with water circulators and temperature modulators. Tucked among the vats is a portable air pump, whose intake hose snakes over to the door. All but one of the tanks has murky, blackish water in them. If not for the air freshener in the other room, the whole house might have smelled sweetly of decay. Enrico dips his finger into the one tank that has a skin of green algae on its surface. He holds it up in front of his left eye, and his lens magnifiers click as they cycle into place. Chlorella, he says. I, uh, I'm growing my own protein supplements, Costa says, again trying to enter the doorway. Stay over there, I point across the room, and reluctantly Costa retreats. What was it? Enrico asks, stepping out of the grow room. A sudden bloom and then a die-off? Chlorella can be tricky that way, especially if you don't harvest it regularly. It takes a lot of know-how to get the growing medium balanced just right. Costa is sweating heavily again, his eyes fixed on me as I raise the analyzer and resume the search pattern Enrico had started. But tell me, Enrico continues, why seven vats for just the two of you? That's a lot of protein. Costa's eyes flick in Enrico's direction. Oh, yeah. There's supposed to be two of you here. You and your wife, uh, what's her name? Susan or... Susanna. Her name barely squeezes through the constriction in Costa's throat. That's right, Enrico says, as if he didn't already know the answer. Is she out in the garden? Costa winces at Enrico's question. 
I don't like where this is going, so I clear my throat, hoping to divert my partner. We know Costa's wife has been ill, even if her sealed medical records deny us any specifics. Costa is more than likely up to something illegal, but that doesn't give us license to be cruel. I turn my attention back to the climbing CO2 numbers on the analyzer. They peak near the bookcase and then fall off as I move past it. Uh, those analyzers are top of the line, Enrico says conversationally. Sensitive to carbon dioxide down to micromolar concentrations. It can detect a single exhale from a person without spongies. I'm not sure Costa heard him. His gaze is focused intently on what I am doing. Seven vats, Enrico says again. Did you know that's almost exactly the amount of chlorella that would be needed to scrub the carbon dioxide from the exhaled air of one person? I push against the bookcase and feel it wiggle. Please, Costa says. His eyes shine wetly in the yellow light streaming in from the vat room. My stomach tightens. I have an inkling of what I'm about to find, and I pray I am wrong. I push harder on the edge of the bookcase. Something clicks. The bookcase shifts and swings open on a set of concealed hinges. My helmet lamp flickers on. A scuffle breaks out as Enrico wrestles Costa against the wall and clips a neural restraint onto his forearm. The device saps the strength from Costa's muscles, and he slumps to the floor, barely able to even sit upright. The old man wails like a wounded animal. Don't hurt her! It's not her fault! A woman sits on the floor, pressed into the corner of what must have been a coat closet before the bookcase had been installed. Her legs, little more than skin and bones, splay awkwardly beneath her like twigs strewn onto the ground. The backs of her hands are covered with black pustules where her chloroplast nodules should have been. Her head slowly rises, and she fixes me with pitiful eyes too large for her face. The cancer, Costa says. Her body rejected the MOCs because of the cancer. I grip the edge of the bookcase. My head feels like it will float away. What cancer has done this? Is this a preview of Elena's fate? Enrico comes up next to me, his expression grim as he stares down at the husk cowering on the closet floor. 773 Violation Decades of inaction have driven atmospheric carbon dioxide concentrations above 500 parts per million. The world burns around us, caught in a positive feedback loop that threatens to run away. Net zero is no longer an option, and the direct air capture facilities cannot scrub fast enough. The 773 mandate requires all humans to be modded to carbon zero, because we have no wiggle room left between our survival and our extinction. Well, Enrico asks, I do not need to check the analyzer, but I do anyways. The readout flashes. CO2 levels in the hidden room are above the acceptable range. Clearly, Enrico's determination is correct, and yet I hesitate. Something I've never done before. For the first time in my career, I see, crumpled on the floor of that hidden room, something other than just a 773 violation. 
I need your concurrence, Investigator Munich. The analyzer beeps as it finishes logging its evidence with Geneva. Costa sobs against the wall behind me. Surely he knows what my concurrence means. The mandate exists for a reason and leaves no room for compassion or exception. I can do nothing except what is required by my oath and the law. Yes, a 773. Before I have even finished speaking, Enrico draws his pistol. I grab his arm and start to say something, but what case can I make? My partner's eyes narrow. She's dead anyways, and every breath she exhales is only killing the rest of us. Can we just... Enrico fires. My knees buckle. I stumble against the bookcase for support. Enrico turns. Cesar Costa, you are an accessory to the violation of International Mandate 773. Do you have any defense? Costa has stopped crying and stares blankly up at us. I loved her. In my years as a field investigator, I have heard accessories offer many excuses, but none have risen to the level of a defense. I wonder now if this one should. Yet I know it cannot, not for Costa, and not for anyone, not even me. I flinch as Enrico fires. He holsters his pistol. Our ride's incoming. Enrico leaves the door open, allowing the reddish glow from the Agalor fire to filter in through the smoke collecting in the room. The fire is only a few kilometers away, with the suppression walls the only thing left standing between the house's survival and extinction. Even if it doesn't burn down, will anyone want to live here after what we have done? <laughs> Welcome back. You've been listening to Carbon Zero by D. Thomas Minton, as narrated by Stefan Rudnicki and directed by Chelsea Dupoy. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Lightspeed is published by Adamant Press, and this podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. This episode is copyright 2023 by Adamant Press. D. Thomas Minton lives on the shore of a mountain lake in British Columbia, but still pines for the tropical waters of the Pacific Ocean. When not writing, he works as an aquatic biologist and helps communities conserve important fish habitat 
and the occasional coral reef. His short fiction has been published in Asimov's, Lightspeed, and Apex magazines, and his books can be found in most online bookstores. His idle ramblings hold court at dthomasminton.com. Stefan Rudnicki is a Grammy-winning audiobook producer and an award-winning narrator who has won several audio awards. He has also won 25 Earphones Awards and been named one of Audiophile's Golden Voices. Stefan has been producing Lightspeed Magazine podcasts since 2010, eventually adding Nightmare and Fantasy Magazine and sharing the Hugo Awards for Best Semi-Prosine in 2014 and 2015. Post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the pit stream. I'm Jim Freund, wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. <laughs>